Good morning, good afternoon. How is everybody doing today? However you're listening, wherever you're listening, and whatever platform you are listening to, welcome again. This is Quantum of History, and I'm your host, Don Waldron. Today we're going to be talking about From Russia with Love. I want to thank everybody that had kind words, and everybody that really gave me some support, and gave me some good critiques about the first one. Steve Jobs always said, when talking about rolling out a new uh, any kind of new product, he would say, if you roll it out and there's no flaws, you waited too long to do it. So yesterday I literally had to record in my car because I'm sure like many of you guys dealing with this quarantine that is just, I swear to God, if if this doesn't end soon, I'm going to get my Bunsen burners and I'm going to go out and I'm going to f- figure out a vaccine myself to get these kids back in daycare. It has been, I'm sure like everybody else has been trying, but um. Uh, you know, it is what it is. It's the world we are in now. Unfortunately, I've been considered essential. So I still have to go to work. So I bring my essential ass to work every day. I'm very excited about actually getting into what the actual podcast is going to be, not just the intro. Today, what we're going to talk about is From Russia with Love, my second favorite Bond movie. I hate to let the old guy go and let Casino be number one, but, you know, Tom Brady can wear a Bucks jersey. From Russia with Love can be number two. So we'll get right into it. The things that I really love about this movie, one of the locations. It is so interesting to me to look at the time capsule of looking at 1960s and you're looking at Istanbul. And how cool is it to look 60 years in the past? You're not reading about it. You're not hearing stories about it. You are actually watching what 1960s Istanbul looked like. So I can't imagine being someone from Omaha, Nebraska and going to the movie theater for the first time and seeing this spy going through underground tunnels in Istanbul, Turkey. Like, that must have just been such a surreal moment. And then, I also love the Orient Express. What? A, how cool is it that an exotic location is a train? You wouldn't even think so nowadays, but being in the train and train car, you dressed up, it was an amazing event, and it was a privilege, and you dressed up, and it was for the rich and the wealthy, and it was not for... It wasn't the Greyhound bus, where every time somebody reached up for that handrail, you... uh. You, 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 you really wish that they had discovered some Old Spice. The characters are great. Tatiana is great. Rosa Klebb is great. You know, Tatiana Red Grant is fantastic. He does such a good job at playing a subtle role. He's ominous without being overt. And that's just so well played. And then Kronstein is creepy. Again, over the top as Blowfield is with his cat and his no face and his, his menace. Kronstein plays it perfectly. And Connery is just, he's got more swagger than this one. He's not as uh, hes not as angry as he was in Dr. No. He has much more swag. He's enjoying it. And he really does get lost. And he enjoys his time with Tatiana. And Karen Bay is the best ally of all the series. His relationship with Bond is so good. It's kind of, it's an interesting story to think that somebody saw a James Bond picture and fell in love. And was ready to defect and was ready to risk it all for this dude over a picture. And I mean, I guess that's how Instagram starts, right? I mean, if in, if Lindsay Palis was, if I had if I had to risk it all over just a picture, Lindsay Palis, probably I'd risk it all for that one. And even the allure, you know, he goes and he finally meets Tatiana, and she just throws herself at him and is just ready to be taken by him just from the picture. And then you know, I mean, I've 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 never been there, but I'm, I imagine it was pretty awesome for uh, for James Bond, and then. Being behind the scenes, they're actually doing a Bubba the Love Sponge thing where it's getting videotaped and going to be disseminated later. But what a cool story. The Gypsy's Camp was so good. 
even even the time here some people draws on or goes on or drags on all right well it's still imagine again being 1960s and seeing two beautiful gypsies fight over one man i mean has there ever been has it ever gone wrong for anybody I mean, maybe Joey Botafuco, but that was a long time ago, and it wasn't on Long Island, and Long Island's got its own problem. And the story with Karen Bay, even when he go, when as far as going back to how Karen Bay is a great ally, I feel like when Karen Bay dies, it's like, oh, I feel worse than when Tracy dies. Like, oh my God, Karen, not Karen Bay. I probably have the most emotional attachment to anyone that actually dies in a Bond move, movie as I do for Karen Bay. Overall, I just love this movie. It gets a 60-year-old bonus. I mean, the fact that it still is riveting to this day, the fact that I still love this movie, it's 60 years old. I mean, what's still, for 60 years old, is still awesome. And that's what this movie is. And I just, I just love this movie. And um, it really is, it, it earns its spot as number two. Okay, so let's actually get into the history of behind From Russia With Love and where they actually got the idea of the Lecter. The Lecter is based on cipher machines. So these cipher machines, what they would do is radio transmission was now vital for the battlefield. And by 1960s, no one would use a cipher machine. It wouldn't make sense in 1960, but it made sense in World War II. And the Germans were at the forefront of this. So the way it would work is that they would have radio transmissions. But it's not like today where you can get you know coded messages or, or cryptions or three key cryptions for your radio transmissions. It was... You listen in, and if you can intercept the radio comms, you get the radio comms. What the cipher machine did is it was able to take those radio comms that anyone could listen to, make a jarred mess, and then come out with a real message. So the way it would work is they would receive these radio comms. For instance, you'd say over the air, XYZ367. Then the user would take the cipher machine that they have, they would start typing the, whatever the radio transmission was, you know, XY67. From that radio transmission, another keyboard would light up. Write down what the key, what the cipher machine would light up, and that would come in to the actual thing. So let's say again, XYZ127. Then the keyboard would light up, and they'd it'd read out, you know, send nudes, you know, just for instance. I, I, I'm positive that in 1942, someone sent send nudes. I, so that's how it would work. Now... As cipher machines got more and more in-depth, in they had more and more keys that they could do. So now not only do you need to have the cipher machine, you have to have the radio comms, but you also have to have the preset set that you would set your cogs at. Now, this was done by grunt work. So they would have actually have somebody, this poor courier dude who was go from some main station, every month would have to go and go to the field with a, with a memorized set of preset of the cog, go out and actually give these presets to the, wherever the cipher machines were. Once that was changed once a month, then it would, um, so that way everybody was on the same page. If the layout wasn't set up properly, then the keyboard wouldn't work. So this is where it became very important that these couriers made their way to where they need to be because without them, the cipher machines, the radio comms, they all wouldn't work without the preset set of cogs. So while James Bond is trying to get this lector machine, it really wouldn't help without also getting access to the courier that would change once a month. So while it would be clearly beneficial for James Bond to get a hold of one of these lectures or the cipher machines, it really wouldn't help without having the preset cogs. In addition to that, so you would have to have someone you'd have to have someone on the inside that knew one of the couriers who would be a trader who would inform what the preset set of cogs would be, in addition to having the machine itself. 
Now, if you were able to get all three, then you can intercept every comm, decipher them, and then have a clear advantage over the enemy, thinking that they're sending encrypted radio messages when in factly they're just telling the enemy exactly what they're doing and what they're doing. So again, while the lecture is a cool story, probably wasn't very pragmatic in actual reality and certainly wouldn't have been any use in 1960 because by then they weren't using you know handheld radios. They had far advanced the radio communications. And then the next part we're going to talk about is the gypsy camp. Now I look at the gypsy camp and I see these two chicks scantily clad just mauling each other. And I'm like, that, that cannot be actually how it happened. So I researched it, and uh, it was not how it actually happened. So if you were going to go back to Istanbul in the 1960s and look at the gypsies, the history of gypsies is, is interesting because nobody likes the gypsies. I'm not saying my own prejudice, but I'm saying that when you look at cultures and throughout history, nobody likes the gypsies. They are... They are not revered, and amazingly, they have kind of an arrested development where they've kept a very close co Their ways haven't changed that much, and they kind of all have the same look. It's very interesting that they've been able to not secularize for all these years, and then every country has them, and you don't know where they came from. So when I saw this, when I saw the scene, and I saw the two chicks trying to smash this, trying to kill each other over one dude, I was like, There's, I want to see what this is real like. So in Istanbul, Turkey, kind of the gypsies are said to have come around the 9th century and they settled in a place called the Solukulul neighborhood in this uh, Soluki so Solo, Solo, Anyways. so I looked at the um, well, I'm going to read a quote from the Dom research talking about how gypsies fall into three groups now you, you say gypsies and you think of one person but there's actually several different ethnicities within the gypsy culture in Istanbul there's basically three sets of gypsies within the thing and they talk about gypsies who live in turkey fall into three groups the roma the dom and the Lom. the dom generally lives in southeast and eastern anatolia and speak damari the Lom live in the northern east of the black sea region and speak lamari gypsies in other parts of anatolia especially the mediterranean side thrace and the aegean regime are known as the roma so i didn't know that that was that comes from the dom research facility i had no idea that they were separate subsets of uh, gypsies throughout the uh the gypsies have been able to maintain their culture but i guess it's kind of like calling the native americans when they <clears throat> so it's kind of like when the europeans came over and called everybody indians even though they were iroquois and they were algonquins and within iroquois there were several different facets of iroquois and then instead of bending banding together to fight the european they still had centuries old um beasts with themselves so you were not going to have Seneca and Cayuga fighting the you know they had been sworn enemies for for centuries at that time and it's kind of the same with gypsies where even though we all kind of jump lump them in together they all have separate subsets and it's interesting to, to research how Turkey actually views the gypsies now Turkish culture especially in their language Turkey is very rigid even their language we have most languages the conjugations there's irregularities with conjugations Turkish, there are no irregularities. Turkish language is one rule, one rule only, and it keeps going through on. So they have a very rigid culture, and they have very black and white. And the way that they describe, in, in the Turkish language, the word for gypsy is Xinjin. The word comes from a legend about how the gypsies actually came to be. The word comes from, the legend goes that two siblings named Sin and Jin 
had an incestuous relationship, and from this incestuous relationship, the gypsies were formed. Hence, Sinjin. So they were brother and sister at the point, and then they believed that God punished them and made them nomadic ways because when God formed the world, he split up the world so that every country would or every ethnicity would have their own group, and they forgot about God forgot about the gypsies. So the gypsies were left to roam the earth without soil or food. Now on to the gypsy marriages. That gypsy marriage scene from Russia with Love would certainly never happen. Gypsies are rigid. It is certainly not two scantily clad girls fighting to the death to go smash some dude. And then when they both are saved, they go and have a three-way with old James Bond. Now, again, should they have this culture? I, I'm a proponent. I am all for it. But uh, I would definitely be going to Istanbul more. But that's not how it is. Normally, gypsy marriages are arranged, especially in the 1960s and on. So the Roma follow a strict guideline of who is a suitable for the children. Typically, the children must be of the same tribe, um, especially so for the women. Men can go find a non-Roma gypsy, but Roma women have to marry Roma men. It's just that's the way it is. Also, before marriage, purity is also vital. So, again, no three ways with with uh, British spies before marriage. Usually the price for the daughter is set upon beforehand. The two families will meet, the price for the daughter will be set up, and then once it's agreed upon how much the daughter's worth, then they, they paid all the money or whatever, whatever arrangement they have. Once the agreement is made a few days after this original um, agreement, there's a ceremony called a polyashka. It's attended by friends and family of the bride and groom. And um, several traditions, they, they drink wine. There's all sorts of things that they do. But it's not that big of a deal. It's not like a, a big thing because it's already considered once the deal is made and the two are living together, there's no breaking it. It's not like I now pronounce the husband and wife. No, you guys are done for life. So decorum, virginity, purity are all very high regarded in the gypsies. Again, no no three ways. So again, while the, while the scene was a uh, well-shot, very interesting scene has really no basis in real life. Now, for one of the locations that I find so interesting is the Orient Express. And it's there's a what, big chunk of the movie that's based in the Orient Express. So I wanted to research what the Orient Express was, what it was all about. And, and when it was fully done at its height, it actually ran 1,700 miles from Paris to Constantinople, which was Istanbul, but now it's Constantinople. But it was Istanbul and Constantinople. No, it's Istanbul and Constantinople. If you don't, if you don't say that, if you don't sing that song every time you hear Constantinople, we can't be friends. It actually gained the Orient Express gained the nickname the Spies Express because it was so well known that so many spies um, rode this. How it got its beginnings is it made its maiden voyage in 1883, and it was the um, it was actually the work of a Bulgarian banker named George Nagelmakers. Nagel, Nagel, Nagel. I don't know, but Nagelmakers, there was no way he lost his virginity in high school. So he was born into wealth. He was born from parents of really wealthy bankers. And George was kind of a, George was eh, a little, a little weird. So George was sent to America after a failed relationship with his cousin. So he had fallen in love with his cousin and it didn't work out. She broke his heart. And his parents were like, I have just the place for you. 
one-way ticket to West Virginia, my friend. You're going to go right there, and you're going to learn how to get over heartbreak with your cousin. So they sent to West Virginia to learn from the masters, the absolute masters of getting over your cousin. Now, while George was over here, he uh, he actually got into... He started riding the railroads. Again, he comes from Welt, so he's not he's not taking Greyhound. He's not taking the subway. He's taking the train. That's where wealthy people rode in the 1800s. And he actually was so taken back by the way that the American railroad system was. Again, we had sleeper cars, and he just loved everything about the trains. The rides, the sounds, the, the luxury, the, the style. The privacy, the fact that you could take a long trip across the country, relax in a super sleeper car with your lady friend, and enjoy absolutely everything. Just be taken care of. And that was what he thought needed to happen in Europe. So he came back to Europe, and he was bound and determined to bring this back to Europe. So he actually brought the plans, and he had a well-thought-out plan. He actually met with King Leopold II of Belgium. Now, King Leopold was, again, another one who thought trains were awesome. So King Leopold probably had, you know, Thomas the Train PJs that he rode in. So he was very much into the train system at the time. He got the, so Negomirkas got the funding for this project from the King of Belgium. So so Nagelmakers was set out to create the most luxurious, most exclusive, and most decadent railroad in the world. He would have, he had, so when he started, he would make it with silk sheets, restaurants stacked with caviar. There were even live musicians that would play on the Orient Express to make your journey even more, more, you know, fancy pants. So this was by far the fastest way to go across Europe and into Asia was this, was this railroad, the Orient Express, which is why so many spies also utilized it. One such spy that would frequent the Orient Express was Robert Baden Powell. He actually started the Boy Scouts of America. He was renowned for his tacticians. He was he loved to hike and, and what he actually would do on he would ride the Orient Express and he would go and he would stop at um, enemy bases and he'd hike and he'd go up to the top. So he would ride the train and he would draw these maps. He would stop at places and he'd go hike and he'd go on covert missions and he would draw maps of enemy bases. Then he would conceal these maps in drawings of like draws of butterflies or nature things so he would conceal these maps within these drawings of other things and he would bring them back and he would sh- tell show the maps to other people for intel purposes and then finally the orient express is no longer is no longer thing went out of business as with most railroad industries it just fell by the wayside by uh, automobile plane every other means of travel you know the railroad system is now obsolete but it's an indelible image of what life used to be and how, you know, again, you look at plane travel in Beyond movies, you look at train travel in old Bond movies in the Conneries, you look at how people are dressed, you look at the style they have, the swagger they have, how they really enjoy the moment that they're in. It's not just, oh my God, I got to get this place. I'm running 10 minutes behind. I got seven minutes at customs. Some TSA guy's about to grab my nuts. Oh, I just need to get out of here. It really is an enjoyable experience and, um, it's just such a cool thing to think about how it wasn't just I need to get point A to point B. It was also I need to get to point A and point B and the travel to point A and B, I'm going to really savor. So that was really cool and interesting. So Russian with Love is just full of other topics I could have talked about. Those were the three that I really picked. And then From Russia Love is just full of so many topics to just explore. It was just such a fun thing to do. And just like all these movies, like I said. 
I really have had a great time. It's been so interesting and so enjoyable to research these things in history, and I'm just, I just such a dork about everything. So I've really enjoyed, you know, dorking out on James Bond, dorking out on these history topics, and there's plenty more to come. But for now, that's going to be it for the From Russia with Love episode. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you found it interesting. I hope you know that people from Phoenix are called Phoenicians and that you can go ahead and enjoy that time. So until next time, I'll Quantum of History will return with another another movie to talk about, another part of history to explore, and hopefully another enjoyable 20 to 30 minutes of your day that you can spend with me. Thank you again. This is Tom Waldron for the Quantum of History podcast. Come back, subscribe, enjoy. Follow me on Instagram at Bond is my spirit animal. Again, thank you so much for the click. Enjoy and enjoy the night and just be safe out there.